I have no special talents. I am only passionately curious. Albert Einstein. Welcome to the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. Good afternoon. I am in the woods in the afternoon, which is unusual because most of the time I'm recording this podcast early morning, not afternoon, but I'm still in the same place, my favorite spot of woods, walking. This is just how I think. I like to get into nature. And as this afternoon belies, I am doing an impromptu podcast. This is not my standard Usually I'm following blog posts, the themes in my blogs, in the podcasts. I never regurgitate, but I just follow the same themes so that you can kind of get one or the other or both, and there's different things you can get from both. So just so you know, future reference, Go if you ever go to my website, www.moderncontemplative.com, you can either read or listen, and this happens to be just a bonus podcast. So just some things I've been thinking about and wanted to take a moment to kind of talk through and you get to listen. Hopefully it is beneficial, challenging, and helpful to you. So this is what I've been thinking about. In particular, I've been having a lot of really good conversations with an atheist friend of mine who used to be a Christian, actually used to be a pastor, has a degree in theology from a seminary, is very well trained in the Bible. And actually has a very good understanding of Christian history and culture and biblical hermeneutics, all of that good Bible stuff, right? That that Christians admire in others if they have it. Like this person, my friend, is a basically a scholar of Christianity, but also an atheist. So we've been having lots of great conversations. I'm really enjoying it. He's a very passionate person as well. He's passionately curious just like me he's a truth seeker and so we were able to have great conversations because we both are genuinely seeking truth we're not seeking to affirm our own truth and argue from our own position but we're actually just interested in having conversations about truth about true reality so from those conversations he's really challenged me in lots of great ways and uh, we we say this all the time but we both kind of recognize that there was a, a great um, ad- aversion in most people to discuss ideas with those they deem on the op- opposite end of their belief systems. Um, and that is a sad, sad state, but uh, it is so beneficial, I can tell you, it is so beneficial if you are able to handle it, to talk to people from differing views. I mean, it, the only thing that really stops us, I believe, is ego, you know, pride. The lack of humility and the lack of kind of honest humility in some ways. And, and I'm not trying to put anyone down. Like I've been in those conversations where I have struggled to stomach other people's views. And also just the way that they're presenting them. So, you know, um, so vehement in opposition to my views. And so I understand, like, there is that tension sometimes. But, like, I've come to a place, and my atheist friend is in a place, too, where we both just don't have much ego invested in our beliefs, although we have a lot lot of passion. That's the difference. I love that Einstein quote, right? He's like, I don't have really much talent. I'm just a passionate, I just have passionate curiosity. And I think that's so awesome. And that's a lot of what I want to talk to about, talk to you about today. I want to talk about, um, physics and metaphysics I'm going to talk about what those two are and how they're different but I want to talk about that under the bigger broader concept of contemplation so this podcast is called the three principles of contemplation or you could say the three proofs of contemplation or the three tenets of contemplation so here we go that's where we're going to start what are the three tenets of contemplation Well, I would also start by saying contemplation, you could also call it mystical Christianity. And that is differentiated from what I would call traditional Christianity or institutional Christianity. So contemplation approaches Jesus Christ and his gospel, which is just what he taught, the way of life he taught. Contemplation approaches it a little differently than what you might 
consider mainstream Christianity or what I would call the Christian religion or the institutional Christianity. Contemplation. So this is these are the three tenets of contemplation. The three main ideas, the three principles. An intimate relationship with God which leads to personal transformation which has external results. So these are the three principles, the three main things that make contemplation what it is. Intimate relationship with God. It's what contemplation calls mystical union, but it is just a real vibrant relationship with God. Now, out of that, contemplation says, comes personal transformation. It is internal transformation. It's inner transformation, all those things. Inner transformation is a good word. It's something that happens inside you. And contemplation always points us to what's inside of us. But the final component of contemplation is an external result. So it doesn't just stay inside. It's not just an interior thing, right? But, but here's the catch is two of the three things are interior, okay? Or, or we could say invisible. <laughs> I'm trying to make my way through a fallen tree that is also wet. And so it's like dousing me in water. But there we go. I'm through. I counted this tree uh, last time I recorded. But so those are the three tenets of contemplation. Two are invisible. Relationship with an invisible God. Internal transformation. External results. External expression like it you know like internal transformation must by nature of what it is it must have external consequences it just you know i can say all day long god has changed me into a person of love but if i'm like abusive and controlling and mean spirited and like attacking other people you might question the reality of my internal transformation, right? And you should, you know. And uh, um, as much as Christianity places a great emphasis on faith, what is unseen, James comes along at the end and says, yes, but the unseen is always manifested in the seen. And that is the very nature of even God, this, which Paul, the, the uh, mystic, uh, spiritual teacher Paul, said in Romans chapter 1 he said the invisible qualities of this invisible God are clearly seen through visible creation because creation what is seen has come from what is unseen the spiritual manifested the material and this is very important when we're talking about physics and metaphysics okay the immaterial or the material came from the immaterial so, um, when we're talking about the three proofs, the three tenets of contemplation, we have to understand the foundation, two of the foundational principles are the immaterial. God, who is spirit, transforming us internally, we could say in our spirits, or what is not visible, but all of that always manifests in the physical. So, what we're talking about is the re a relationship between physics, which is the, the study of energy and how it relates to matter, physics, and metaphysics, which is the study of how spiritual energy relates to matter. Did you catch the difference? So a physicist basically is someone who studies how bodies act upon each other systems uh, can affect other systems, right? How a system itself can work and then how that system affects other systems. That's physics. It's the study of, like, the uh, Einstein's general theory of relativity has to do with gravity, which is mass times um, mc squared. <laughs> I'm not a physicist, by the way, so I'm not a physicist. A science, uh, I'm not a physical scientist. I'm a metaphysical scientist. So, 
I won't get all this stuff right, but um, gravity is a f measure, is a force, right? It's not something you can hold. It's not a material object, but it is. It is the force created from material objects moving and occupying space. Like it's mass. Mass creates gravity. I don't know what mass MC mass. I don't know what the C is. Darn it. <laughs> Whatever. But it's mass. It's like physical objects taking up space and also moving create energy and force. That's physics. What is metaphysics? Metaphysics comes, just like physics, it talks about energy and force, but it is from the supernatural world, the metaphysical. Meta, by the way, just means above or before. It can even mean before, what, like above and before. Metaphysics is that which came before or and also stands above, the physical, the metaphysical. It's something it's other than the physical, which preceded it from which the physical came. That's the idea anyway. Right? So we're talking about the three tenets of contemplation. We're dealing with what is metaphysical, but it does manifest in the physical. So what we're saying is the study of metaphysics relates to physics, but it is also a different study in its origins and its material, right? So all science and... Sometimes we can mystify science and scientists, right? I believe the f physicists and scientists are like the new priests in an age of science and reason, right? Um, in a lot of ways, we view people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and um, Einstein, of course, and uh, ha uh, Hawkins. I can't think of his... Anyway, we, these are people who are like... They're like superhuman to us in some ways because it's like in our mind they have minds that just transcend what we can even comprehend like somehow they could grasp things we can't we don't and so there's a there's a tendency to mystify scientists in an age of reason and science but like basically they just study they study reality they study how reality works and you boil it down to it they study how physical reality works right Mass, inertia, friction, force, heat, energy, bodies in motion, kinetics, all these things. They're just studying reality, the reality of the physical universe. It can sound kind of complex and mystical when we talk about quantum physics and Newtonian physics and quantum mechanics and... Uh, general relativity and specific relativity, but basically, just to demystify it a little bit, although I'm not an expert in this area, it is just the study of the material universe and how it works, right? And so, um, what's called classic mechanics, or new, sometimes Newtonian mechanics, has to do with large systems, something that would be above the atomic level, the level of atoms. and then Einstein's, um, or what came from a lot of Einstein's specific and, th and general theories of relativity was, is now called quantum mechanics, which deals with the atomic and some atomic particles. So basically, what we can see is classic mechanics, and what we cannot see is quantum mechanics, which means what we cannot see because light, it's too small for light to hit it and therefore for it to be visible. So that's subatomic particles like electrons and neutrons. We cannot see them, but we can study we can study how they move and what they do, but they're not visible to be studied with the naked eye, which is very interesting to me. And it's another interesting thing here about classic mechanics versus quantum mechanics is that the larger you go, the more predictable these systems and how they work. Gravity, planets, stars, universes. The larger the system, the more predictable, meaning we can say it works in this way and it works in this way almost all the time. There are reproducible effects. Quantum mechanics is different. When you start to go, the smaller you go with a system and its parts, the deeper you go into the smaller, the, at the micro level, the less predictable. And actually what we're finding, this is very interesting, what scientists are finding is that actually at the quantum mechanic level, 
what uh, what is in play is actually the reality that things react differently to the presence of something. So, for example, um, there was an experiment they did where they shot a light. Again, I'm oversimplifying things. I'm not a scientist. They shot light through a slit or through an opening, and they watched whether it went left or right. Well, they found that when the light was not observed, it kind of did the same thing every time. But when someone was actually watching the, the light particle, it did something different every time. It was less predictable when being observed. That was the only difference. Non-observed light, and actually Einstein says this in his, I think it's a special theory of relativity. Light in a vacuum always, always does the same thing. Take it out of the vacuum and expose it to other things around it, including the interaction of sentient beings, and then it's not as predictable. That's kind of what this experiment is also saying, is that when you, just the fact that someone is looking at that light particle changes what it does. That, and this is why quantum mechanics and, and general mechanics actually don't, are not compatible. They both explain how the world works, one with large systems, one with subatomic systems and particles, but they actually work, they actually contradict each other. Because when you look at the large system, systems in their large sense, if you pull back to the big picture, things appear in nature to be following very predictable rules, the laws of nature. You know, this was kind of in the 17th century what Sir Isaac Newton and others established. I think his book was called the Principia, which is just Latin for principles, whatever, but Newton's Principia. But like what he established is like, hey, things work fairly mechanically. It's why it's called Newtonian mechanics or classic mechanics. It is how the universe works. When you look at the largest scope of, when you pull back to the largest frame and watch, see how big systems work, it's very predictable. Those are the laws of nature. We can say gravity always works in this way. Large planets have mass depending on their size, right? And their orbit. Like their gravitational pull is dependent upon those two things. And it's very consistent. The larger the mass, the quicker the spin, the higher the gravity. Very predictable. But the smaller you go into quantum mechanics, the less predictable. And it contradicts this idea because what are large systems made of? They're made up of smaller systems and smaller and smaller and smaller until you get to the smallest parts, which is where um, quantum mechanics takes over. And, and quantum mechanics says actually things don't work in predictable ways. And in fact, what we're finding is that what predicts how they work is it's very complex, but it's influenced through sentience, through observation, like through the presence of an observer. So there tends, like, and this is my perspective, but for me, presence makes a difference. This is the principle of relationship, of sentient relationship, of consciousness. Like, basically what quantum mechanics is pointing to, I will not say this is a definitive, what quantum mechanics is actually proving, but this is what quantum mechanics is pointing to, that the presence of consciousness changes how quantum subatomic things actually work. That's about relationships with consciousness and conscious beings. That's sentience, what we would call intelligence. Like there, and that makes no sense. General mechanics, everything works the same. Doesn't matter if you're there, you're not there. You know, the whole thing. If a tree falls in the woods and there, it makes a sound, and there's no nothing to hear it, does it actually make a sound? You know. It's about how systems work. Like, just because a sound is made, if there's nothing to receive the sound, actually the sound, the whole process isn't complete because it works a certain way. For sound to actually be a sound, there has to be something that registers the sound. There's this consistency we can say. Things work this way in classic mechanics. But in quantum mechanics, we cannot say that. What we can say is there seems to be <clears throat> no uniform way, but there seems to be... Um, a common principle that consciousness makes a difference in how things react. And so that is what we could call relationship. And so the energy in quantum mechanics seems to be relationally affected where in the big picture, we don't seem to see any, any variance depending on a sentient presence. Isn't that interesting? 
Okay, so I've talked a lot about physics. I probably ex exhausted my <laughs> the extent of my knowledge of, <laughs> of physics, and if you know more, <coughs> which wouldn't be hard, you can correct me. I'm offering a general understanding, and that's all it is. So, you know, if you correct me, that was that's fine. But now I want to talk about metaphysics, okay? Contemplation deals in metaphysics as its origins. Like it says, there is also this metaphysical energy. It's what we call God. It's what I talk about is God is this energy. It's the energy of life. You know, the, the story, the model of religion is that there is this God person, this God energy in the world. It existed before the material world and from the and, and the material world came from it. And we can know things about it by viewing the material world that came from it, but it is not the same thing. It is the thing in it that manifested it. And it is still the energy of life in all things, but it is not the same as looking at those things. It is just like those things are a manifestation of this energy. And so metaphysics and contemplation in particular, seeks to point us back to the origin, like this deeper energy, this this eternal energy, which existed before the material universe. Before physics, there was metaphysics. Isn't that cool? And so, the three principles of contemplation are, there is a God who is spirit, he's not physical. Okay, there is a God. We can be in relationship with this God energy. That's the first principle. The second is that this relationship by nature of that relationship transforms us, changes us for the better. The third principle is that it produces an external result. Those are the three principles of contemplation. Now, <clears throat> where mystical Christianity differs from um, the Christian religion is really in the first two, largely the first premise. So, um, institutional Christianity claims the first two as tenets, but it does not practically um, produce the first two or rely on the first two. The Christian religion is basically a mind-based theology, a set of principles and truths and ideas that include these ideas, but not the practical application. Like, um, basically, you can be a Christian by belonging. It's it's kind of a group belonging experiment. We're going to share, and it's it's externalized values. And so, pretty much to simplify it, the Christian religion skips to the third part of contemplation and says the external outcome is the focus because it is the only tangible aspect right no one can see whether you have a true relationship with god no one can judge it no one can really touch it even it's so personalized it's invisible by the nature of god being invisible the second part inner transformation no one can also really see you can say all day long i've been changed i've been changed i feel different yes i came out of the water and magic happened <laughs> but the only real measurable, externally measurable, phenomenon in the Christian religion is the third tenet of contemplation, which is external, the external result, which we could call behavior, external behavior. And so the Christian religion tends to focus predominantly on the third but it does tend to skip the first two or underplay the first two. And depending on the denomination or the church, you have different kind of different degrees of how much that gets skipped and overlooked. Sometimes it is overlooked to the extreme where it's like what's what, it's what in Christianity is called works-based theology. Like works-based theology says it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you say your relationship with God is. It matters what you do. And so... Even when well-intended, that works-based, um, that's what we also call Armenianism, that works-based theology can just be focused on doing the right things. And doing the right things can be completely self-manufactured. Right? I can do good works completely. I can do the same good works, and an atheist can do the same good works from 
different motivations, but it's the same good works. And all we can say is, well, they're both doing good things. And so what is the difference? I would say, and this is the crux of where we're at in, our, in the Christian religion, because it has not followed the tenets of contemplation for the most part. We have people saying, well, what good is Christianity? I can do good without having to believe in God. And in fact, I don't know if belief in God is even very reasonable. So why not just skip to the end result and just do good works? Why do you even need this belief in a God to do good works, to do good, to love others well? And that's, that's an understandable statement and query. And in the Christian religion, it actually is quite well proved. In fact, we can sometimes see the harm in the Christian religion when it's just works-based. Because, it, in a sense, it's trying to say, see, we have the right truth. We really know God. And to prove it, we are doing the best things. That's externally based. Well, it's skipping to the proof, the only visible proof. But does it really have the first two tenets of contemplation? which I would say are, are, were the core of what Jesus taught. Relationship with God. Oneness is what he called oneness. It's what he called abiding with God. You know? Um, the Christian tradition, skipping those, can actually do a lot of harm because it's really it's trying to prove that it is a better philosophy simply through external behaviors when in fact, if all it is doing is trying to produce external behaviors, it is not actually any better because... The energy behind it is still self-originated. And it's the same as the energy anybody could put into good works and good actions, which is just trying to do good and love people well. But in the end, if it's just self-referential and self-motivated and self-energized, it is no different. It's just people claiming that God is the source while really the source is themselves. And they can attach a lot of theology to it, a lot of good Bible verses and a lot of good... Bible um, principles, but if it's not truly attached to God and coming as energized by God, it's not. It's not truly contemplation. It is what has become the Christian religion. But that is the difference between the Christian religion and contemplation. Contemplation says, unless you do the first, which leads to the second, the third will not really truly be God ordained and God energized action. And I've already mentioned this, but the third, basically we can say, we can boil the third component, which is the external result, to love. And that's exactly what scripture says. Time and time again it says, the external consequence of these internal things is love. They will know you are Christians by your love. You know, if you are in the love of God, it will pour out of you. All these scriptures that talk about love is the externalized result of these first two tenets. And so, but there is a problem that's created, and that is with the first two tenets of contemplation. Those are not ever externally provable. And my conversations, a lot of my conversations with my atheist friend have been along those lines. He is very adamant about the provability of things, and that's understandable. In physics, you know, the difference between, in any kind of science, the difference between a theory and a fact is provability, which has to do with experimentation and experience. It's what we call empirical data. Empirical means that it is a, you're able to experience it in reality, in the real world. That's empirical. Rational means you can conceive of it in your mind. It comes through the thought life it can basically rational is the, the theor, theorization of things and empirical is the actual practical application of things and so for we could say at least externally in the physical world the first two tenets of contemplation are imperceivable you can never prove to anyone you have a relationship with God God is invisible you have a spirit that is invisible these are the core components of that first tenant. You as a spiritual being can interact and have a relationship with God as a spiritual being. At no point is that ever perceivable. Have people seen angels? Yes. At least that is historically true. People have claimed to see angels. But 
we know, we, we know that the spiritual is called the unseen. Just because it manifests sometimes in a visible way doesn't mean it is a visible thing. It's not a material thing. It's not of the material of the physical universe. So, the first tenant is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit relationship between my spirit and the spirit of God. It is an imperceivable. It is imperceivable in the external. The second tenant, which is inner transformation, is also imperceivable. So, to the mind, to the, to the physicist, or the person really bent around this idea of how things manifest in the external, in the exterior, the first two are not provable. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean they're not able to be proved. It's just that how they are able to be proved is different. They're not provable in the external. They are provable in the internal, in the spiritual. That's why it's called metaphysics. That's why I call myself a metaphysicist, because I deal with spiritual energy and how it works. The fact that it is not perceivable in the material is just by definition. And so we fall into this problem, and this is a lot of, this is along a lot of the lines where my discussion with my atheist friend falls. He's always saying, prove it. There's no provable, there's no provable components to your belief in God and your inner transformation. And I would say, no. It is not provable in the material, but that is by definition. It is provable in the spiritual. And of course, his response is, well, I don't even believe in the spiritual. And that is the end of the discussion, and that's all well and good. I don't begrudge him that. He does not believe in God. That's by definition who he is. But he does believe in spiritual, that there are things beyond the physical, and I think that is good. We have a lot of commonality in our views of that. But basically, I have no way of proving to him, because the proof is always internal. I have a spirit, and with my spirit, I do interact with God. And in my spirit, I do and am transformed. It is internal, but it is internal. The proofs are also internalized. And so really, I can only, in those two first two tenets, I can only prove the reality of those things internally. But they are still internally provable. So <clears throat> the empirical data for those first two tenets are not non-existent. They are just internal, and they are metaphysical. They are invisible in the material, physical universe. That's just the nature of this whole truth claim that the only way you can truly experience empirically that these things are real is through the immaterial, what is invisible to the naked eye. But I think this is where <clears throat> quantum mechanics edges towards metaphysics, the physics of quantum mechanics, because it is also imperceivable to the naked eye. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't truly exist as matter. <clears throat> it does. But there is something beneath quantum mechanics. It's what we currently call string theory. And string theory is proving to be not as tenable a belief as it once was proposed, but it is basically trying to say what is beyond quantum mechanics. When we go to the smallest point of mass and matter that we can, of particles, electrons, neutrons, there are things between them. There is space between them. What is that space made of? And so the theory of, of strings, or the string theory says that there must be material matter that is smaller than those things, but we just can't perceive it and see it. That could be true, definitely. But it could also be true that what is smaller than what we know to be the smallest components of material reality could be non-material. We simply don't know, and I'm not claiming to know, <clears throat> especially not in, a, in terms of physics. Physics is just what we can say is physical, is really material in terms of the natural universe. But I'm saying there is... A bridge there and perhaps they find that thing beneath quantum mechanics but what is beneath that and what is beneath that and you will chase forever and ever I believe you can go forever smaller and smaller is there 
a point at which you can stop dividing and say, we, we know every single micro centimeter of space, we've, we've, um, we've accounted for it all. There is nothing. Energy itself is energy itself going to end up being non-space in a sense. I don't know. Seems like space is a real thing. It's the absence of things, just like the metaphysical. Um, so, that's just an interesting way to understand how the metaphysical and the physical interact and relate. The metaphysical is always what is kind of beneath and above, outside of, but also in the physical. This is the model that religion puts forth. And another interesting thing I discovered reading about string theory is that it is a model. And so scientists do the same thing, or physicists do the same thing as metaphysicists. They start often, they look at phenomenon that are actually happening, and they try and compose a story around that phenomenon that, that explains it. That's called a scientific theory. So they start by theorizing, well, why is this happening? Or why is this string of events happening? Why is this phenomenon in the material universe happening? And they say, well, you start by putting forward a model or a story, a narrative that says, we think this is the most likely reason. <clears throat> and then they work with it. They test it. They, when it's tested enough and it's found to be somewhat consistent, then it becomes more of a fact. Now, I can't say I know exactly the difference between something changing from theory to fact. I don't know what the level of proof is there, but there, there, most of your, that's why it's called Einstein's theory of relativity, even. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, there is a degree to which you can, you can no longer, you just can't go far enough to prove some things factually, completely, without any po potential for unprovability. <clears throat> but, basically... You observe phenomenon. This is the process of science. You observe phenomenon. You try and construct the most likely explanation. And then you sit with that explanation and you test it and you see if it works here and does it work there and does it work in that person? Does it work in that environment? Does it work in space? Does it work on Earth? Does it work on Saturn? And you test and you test and you test and you refine and you see how it holds up. Metaphysics, aka religion, does the same thing. It observes spiritual phenomenon. <clears throat> And it ha produces a model, a story, a narrative, and says, this is why these things happen. This is the explanation. And then it gets tested and refined. And so, you can see, in one sense, why religious ideas 5,000 years ago seem crude and absurd to us. And today, we have a much different view. There is a refinement process. There is a testing of the model. Um, so, the belief in ancient Greece that Zeus threw lightning bolts down to the ground and struck people and uh, he was the cause god aka god was the cause of lightning now we know through science that we know the material causality of lightning right electrons in the atmosphere and all of that stuff supercharged and yada yada <laughs> we know so like when people aren't going around anymore saying lightning just struck oh zeus is really pissed off we better um make some sacrifices. No, nobody's doing that. Does that mean the idea of God is absurd? No, because just like science and what science believes and puts forth as models, it gets tested, refined, and sometimes it gets thrown out, but sometimes it just gets kind of reworked and honed. Same with religion. We don't believe Zeus that God throws thunderbolts anymore. We do believe that the energy behind electricity our matter is still the energy of God, and therefore we can see the correlation, right? I mean, presumably that this model is true. We can, you know, so the model may change, like Zeus doesn't throw lightning bolts anymore, but we still believe that God is the energy of all things, and therefore God energizes even lightning <laughs> as much as anything else alive that moves. So, like, that's the same. That's a scientific approach. That's the scientific approach of metaphysics. It works in the same way. You have phenomenon. What is that? What are those phenomenon? What, what could we call even call spiritual phenomenon? Well, I mean, it comes back to the first tenet of contemplation, that we can't have a relationship 
with this God energy. And that that God energy is personal. That we can't have a relationship. There's a sentient consciousness, what we could call higher consciousness or cosmic consciousness. Comes back to that tenant. So what are the phenomenon of that relationship? What, is, what does it mean to have a relationship with a sentient being? Love and embracing. And there is... Sometimes we get lost because our most, most, all of our other relationships are with visible things. But the essence of relationship is not visible, right? It's something that is intangible. And so we can say this relationship with God should feel very similar to our relationships with humans. But it is actually even bigger. Because God is not bound by, by materiality. And so, again, while I cannot prove this to any other person, my experience of my relationship with God has been proved. The phenomenon, when I pray, when I seek God, when I seek direction, I receive it. It proves out. Doesn't mean I don't get it wrong, but it means that the process of being in relationship with God for me has proved true. You know, I have believed there is a God. I have spent my life trying to be in relationship with God. I have grown immensely in how I understand how that works and how a lot has changed but the core idea that God is this higher consciousness of love that is also guiding me and loves me like a father and a mother and a brother that has a purpose for me that's leading me in my life that has a larger view of my life that actually determined what my life should be like these are the phenomenon of this relationship I actually ask for wisdom and I receive it I'm seeking guidance and I receive it. These are the phenomenon. Can anybody else see that? No. I can only describe it. I can only talk about it. I can speak about it. I cannot literally show you how. You cannot look and see how God spoke to me. It's just, it's, it's relational. And so it's not provable in the physical world, but the proofs are not. We wouldn't say, you know, like, prove to me that your wife loves you. <laughs> What would we do? We'd describe things our wife has done and what it means to us. And um, Maybe you would produce some physical things your wife gave you or this shirt that means so much. But still, it's like the physical stuff doesn't even begin to translate to proof. The proof is immaterial. The proof of relationships is always immaterial. Even relationships we have with physical things. There is an energy that is in between. The, the, the relationships translate to more of an energy and an essence than a materiality. Gosh, that's a hard word to say. So the same is true with God. Though we cannot see God, we can still experience a relationship with God. The hard part is believing that God is there to be experienced. That's the biggest difference, of course. And that's where some people get stuck. And I understand that. I, would, I don't begrudge anyone that, of course. Can it be hard to believe there is a God that exists, which you cannot see, that you can have a relationship with? Yes, of course. You have to overcome that skepticism in order to even begin, though. What is it like to have a relationship with an immaterial God? It is not much different than my relationship with my wife, except God is perfect love. And I experience God as perfect love. But the energy and the essence of the relationship is much the same. I know God loves me. I know God wants to be with me. God wants to spend time with me. God wants to walk with me. God wants to do life with me. And God, as wisdom, I ask my wife for wisdom. I listen to her. I consider her point. Sometimes I don't follow it. The same is true with God. I don't always follow God's wisdom. I don't always even seek God's wisdom. But there is a relationship there. The proof of that relationship is immaterial and always will be. When we're in a relationship according to contemplation, then it leads to inner transformation by nature of the relationship with God, who is perfect love. It transforms us. We can argue why we start out imperfect in love and how that happens, how we get broken. I, I don't think that's necessary in this conversation, but basically that we can, I think we can agree that there is a need for transformation. There is a brokenness in us. There is a brokenness in the world. We see a brokenness in people. Whether we like to see it in ourselves, we clearly do not have any trouble seeing the brokenness in other people. We are wounded by it all the time, and so we can say there is a need for inner transformation. But that is also an imperceivable action. It is immaterial. It cannot be manifested in the visible universe. It's just, it cannot. 
But it is true, and it has been proved true for me that my relationship with this immaterial God has equaled a transformation in my life. And it has led me to love others better. And that is visible. Now, there is a humility in that. And we can go very awry as people who claim to be in contact with a loving God when we skip the first two steps of contemplation and just make Christianity all about the externalized expression of love. Certainly when it stems mostly or predominantly from our own attempts to love. Do we see that the church is full of broken people, hateful people, racists, sexists, homophobes, xenophobes, you know, nationalists? <clears throat> yes, of course. <clears throat> Does that mean God is a xenophobe and a racist and a sexist <laughs> and a nationalist? He only loves, he, she only loves America and hates Russia or vice versa. No. What it means, according to contemplation, is the first two skip steps have been skipped. And, even understandably so, I talk with a lot of Christians. I am a spiritual director, I am about spiritual formation, which is the first two steps. And I see this time and time again, when you really get into the conversation, what you see is more <clears throat> of a relationship with a group. Typically a local, a local group, and a pastor, and which includes Bible knowledge and training and ideas and theology, but <clears throat> it is all mind-based. There's no empirical data. There's no empirical evidence there, which means there has been no real vibrant <clears throat> relationship with God developed, and there has been no real vibrant transformation as, an, as a result. And so the attempt to externalize the appearance of a loving person comes mainly from that person trying to adhere to principles which Christianity purports, but not from the energy of love with whom they are on, in, are in relationship with, which we can call God. <clears throat> so, I know that's a lot of information, and we've woven back and forth between physics and metaphysics, religion, science. All of this is just kind of a bare-bones attempt to explain what the tenets of contemplation are, the three tenets, and how they are different from traditional Christianity, how mystical Christianity is different from traditional Christianity, and why, and how that is there, how that is much like physics, metaphysics is much like physics, and how they are interrelated as well, and why, when it comes to proving that you have a relationship with God, you should stop right there. You cannot prove it to anyone but yourself, and I don't believe God requires that either. I don't think Jesus ever tried to prove to anyone that he was the Son of God, that he knew God as he did. He just completely, he just simply went around and stated it and lived it and leaned into it. That's it. And that is love. Not a contentiousness over who, who agrees and aligns with my beliefs, but who actually lives them out from the energy of something bigger than themselves. It is something that does manifest. It manifests in love, which is inclusive, which is embracing, which never leaves a person behind or never leaves a person out, does not know what an outcast or an enemy is, it loves all people and loves all things. It does not abuse the planet. It does not abuse others. It does not abuse the outsider, the outcast, the immigrant, the illegal alien, the homosexual, the other, the other. Jesus' message was always, how you treat the other reveals whether or not you have the love of God in you. Because love is the only external evidence of this internal reality. I hope that's been somewhat enlightening and helpful. You know, wherever you are, if you're an extreme doubter and a skeptic, uh, I love you. And I hope you keep moving forward into love, no matter what you believe. And if you're a devout Christian, I love you too. 
and I hope that you come to know God in real and intimate ways, no matter who you are, agnostic, atheist, theist, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Jainist, Shinto, tribal, Christian, God embraces all of you, and I embrace all of you. And we all are on this journey of learning to embrace everyone and everything. That is the true heart of God, and the only true manifestation of God's true heart in us. <sighs> I think there's a lot of wisdom there. I have struggled and struggled <laughs> in my conversations with my atheist friend, deservedly so, to even express and explain these things, and I have fallen short. And we'll continue, and that's okay. But what I'm realizing in this, kind of where I've come to in this, is that like being able to prove the first two tenets of my belief system, contemplation, are not possible when it comes to physics and the material universe, and that's okay. To try to do that actually would create contention. I'm not trying to convince anyone that, that God is real. God can really be known and God can really transform your life. But I do hope that we all learn to love no matter what we believe. And that is the true art of God. <sighs> so, I hope that's helpful. I hope it challenges you. And even if you don't believe anything I've said, I hope that at least you understand the difference between contemplative mystical Christianity and traditional institutional Christianity. And if you're a Christian, I hope that really challenges you a lot to consider which you belong to and which is really good and where you lie and all that. And it's probably a spectrum. You're, you Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. But I hope that you move more towards the contemplative mystical expression, which just is another way of saying I hope that you don't just focus on externalized behaviors. But I hope you understand that the energy of what makes all this work has to start with knowing God personally and being transformed by God internally before we can truly manifest the love of God to others. Amen, amen. <laughs> I love all of you. I hope this has been helpful and challenging and a little intense and also fun. Thanks, guys. This has been the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. Thanks for joining me. Bye.